Well, good morning, Hope Elam. So good to see all of you. Yeah, you can clap anytime you want to at this church. Absolutely. Good morning. It is so good to have you here, whether you are here in the room or worshiping uh, one of the hundreds that are worshiping with us online right now. We are so glad that you are here. My name is Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so thankful that you are here. We're glad that you got here safe this morning on this snowy day, at least here in central Iowa, wherever you're watching from. By the way, you should, should know this, of the power of technology and the blessings of that. We have people watching from Minneapolis, Minnesota today, from Florida, from Houston, Texas. Texas and hopefully safely on their way up uh, high, or Interstate 35. So praise God for all the people that are worshiping with us this morning. Uh, that's awesome. We worship a God that is making all things new. Amen. And we don't have to imagine that. We know that that's what God has done throughout his story, but also right here in front of us. God is doing something brand new, a brand new church called Hope Elam. That believe it or not, we're just over two months old. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's been, it's been an amazing few, we're just a toddler as a church. We're, we're finding our legs under us a little bit, but it has been an amazing few weeks, especially if you were here uh, last weekend. It's okay to just pause before we move forward and celebrate the incredible weekend that it was. It was an honor to preach with Pastor Hurst, of course, and our senior pastor, Mike Householder, on this stage uh, on the power of unity as we celebrated uh, Dr. King and his legacy and his vision. I don't know about you, but well, I think the same could be said of this morning. You just get the sense that you're caught up in something bigger than yourself here. Amen. You get the sense that maybe there's something bigger going on here than just me and my preferences and my ideas of what church should be like. We felt caught up in something bigger, certainly on that historical weekend in this historical room last weekend. And on a, on a smaller scale, but in terms of uh, history making, for the first time ever in the history of Lutheran Church of Hope at all of our campuses, the service, the message from a campus was streamed back to our West Des Moines campus, our original site. They watched it on the screens as well as the rest of the world on Hope Online TV. So praise God for the opportunity to share what God is doing here with the world around us. So pretty awesome. Uh, to share that with the entire whole family was awesome. And as awesome as last weekend was, it is more critical what we do with it. What now? Let us be a church that does not reduce the message of Dr. King and ultimately the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ to one special holiday weekend a year. Following Jesus, working for justice, working for equality, serving our city is a full-time, 365-day-a-year mission for us as followers of Jesus. Amen? I mentioned in our message last weekend that the work of movements— which I hope that you know that you're a part of. Church is not an event that you attend, it's a movement that you join, that you're a part of something bigger. The work of movements of radical change is often found in the slow, unseen work that doesn't always feel like headline news. And I didn't get a chance to say this last week and I was kicking myself, but I want to say this to you now. Hope Elam, we are so proud of you as your pastors. We are so grateful for you. Uh, yeah, you can give yourselves on a, a pat on the back, absolutely. You are doing this slow, many times unseen, but vital work every single day. Just to highlight a few things that are going on right now that have taken place recently that we know that are building these critical relationships that are keeping this movement uh, moving forward. There's over 40 participants in our next Be the Bridge class 
that's taking place uh, right now online, learning to be change agents for racial unity. Dozens of you are, get this, on our prayer and care teams, are getting on the phones and sending emails and reaching out to over 1,300 people in our church family for the second time during the pandemic just to check in and, and, and make sure people are okay. Over 30 women gathered for our first ever Hope Elam women's online event uh, last weekend. I heard that was awesome. I didn't get invited. I don't understand why. Um, but I heard, I heard it was awesome. Dozens more of you are taking our Alpha class right now, involved in small groups, and our midweek page two worship and Bible study, Wednesdays at 6.30. Can't emphasize that enough. It's been awesome to see the response. And then coming up, so excited about this. I get more excited about this than I do about the actual football game. But on February 7th is our annual Super Bowl, S-O-U-P, uh, Super Bowl food drive at all of our campuses where we are going to stock every shelf of every food pantry, over 100 food pantries in central Iowa. So get ready for that. That is coming up as well. That's just a sampling. That's just the highlights of the way that God is moving. God is doing something brand new and you are invited to be a part of it. And so as we continue our series today, it's based on the number seven that is used in scripture. This week, we're going to shift our focus from the seven ones of unity that we talked about last week to get this. I know something very exciting, seven loaves of bread. And we are going to discover what happens when we take what we have and put it in the hands of an almighty God. So if you got your Bible, do I have any Bible readers in the house today? Okay, I don't care if you've got your hard copy, your phone, whatever it is, open up to Matthew chapter 15. I would love for you to follow along. We're gonna camp out in this story today and we're gonna learn about the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. Let me say that again. Jesus feeding the 4,000. Some of you are like, Pastor, check your notes. I'm pretty sure it's 5,000, right? Yes, he also did that as well. Scholars have a lot of disagreement on this, but the consensus is, if you dig into these stories at all and the details, these are two separate stories. Matthew chapter 15 is the feeding of the 4,000, which is a completely separate event in a completely different region where Jesus did ministry, than the feeding of the 5,000 that happens one chapter before. Two different stories. So as you're getting there, when we arrive on the scene, Jesus has been busy once again. He's already healed the blind. He's cast out demons. He's cured terrible diseases. Not to mention that just a few days ago, he discovered that his cousin, John the Baptist, who obviously was very close to, was brutally murdered. And so in his humanity, Jesus is overwhelmed. He's exhausted. He needs time to get away, to grieve, to recharge. In fact, all throughout the Gospels, we see this rhythm from Jesus of work and ministry and then rest, of producing fruit and then abiding with his father, of doing the work of ministry and then spending time with his father every single day. There's this absolute dependence that Jesus has on his father. Every day he lives out this truth, and I want you to just engrave this in your minds today. Everything I need for them, I get from him. Everything I need for them, I get from him. You see, it was easy for Jesus to pray, to teach the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, because he was already doing it. Does that make sense? He was already modeling it. Jesus was living a life that looked like getting your daily bread from your father. And as any good leader, Jesus is not going to ask you to do something that he's not already doing himself. 
that he's not modeling himself. And so even though Jesus wants to get away, the crowds keep coming. Look at verse 29 in chapter 15. Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee, and he climbed a hill, and he sat down. Clearly, if you climb a hill and sit down, you would like to be alone. Verse 30, a vast crowd brought people to him who were lame and blind and crippled and those who couldn't speak and many others. Jesus goes up the hill to be alone, but still many found him. Now, many of us, if we were Jesus in that moment, if it was me as an introvert, I would just say, can a man get some moment of peace, right? Can I, can I get away? I'm grieving. I'm hurting. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And most of us would flip out on these people and turn to frustration. But instead of frustration, Jesus has compassion. How do you do that when you're so exhausted and and overwhelmed? Don't forget, yes, he's fully God, but he's fully human. Jesus is modeling how to be fully human in an exhausted, overwhelmed society. How does Jesus move instead of frustration and respond in compassion? Everything I need for them, I get from him. Everything that I need for them, I get from him. What if we started every day like that? Everything I need for my kids, I get from him. Everything I need for my marriage, I get from him. Everything I need for my friends, I get from him. Over and over and over, Jesus is modeling this for us. For Jesus, the battle was won before it was fought. The battle was won before it was fought. So hang with me here for a second. The miracle that we're about to get to did not happen as a result of loaves and fish. It's not magic. The miracle happened through intimacy with God ahead of time. That's how you prepare for daily life. That's how you prepare for the battle. So Jesus recognizes that this crowd has been following. It's not that they haven't eaten, but it's been three days. And if they packed a little, you know, Lunchables or a little sack lunch, they're running out by now. They're in the middle of nowhere and their food supply is depleted. So Jesus turns to his disciples and points out the obvious. These people have nothing to eat. Notice he asks them, hey, what do you guys think we should do? If I'm a disciple, I'm like, well, you're God. So how about we go to you for the answer, right? But the disciples are still learning. Verse 33, they replied, Where would we get enough food in the wilderness for such a huge crowd, okay? There's no Chick-fil-A's open. Maybe it was Sunday and they're not open, okay? There's no Casey's. There's no fast food where they can run in and get some food for all these people. Now, the disciples got it partially right. They saw the need, but they did what you and I often do. They limited the possibilities of what God is capable of to only what they can imagine. Well, I don't see the solution here, Jesus. With, from my human perspective, from my earthly point of view, this is all that I can imagine, so there must not be a solution. You see, far too often I think our, our prayer lives resemble more of an evening newscast where we're going to tell God what we've already decided. Kind of like the disciples. Well, we've looked everywhere, Jesus. I don't see any restaurants, so we're done for. Send everybody home. And we do this in our prayer life all the time. Instead of asking God, For his divine wisdom, we just sort of tell God, well, I've sort of already got it figured out. Well, God, you know, I just thought I'd let you know that we decided to make that big purchase even though we're going to be in debt for the rest of our lives. 
Um, God, I just wanted to let you know I did go ahead and take that job. I didn't ask you, but I hope you're good with that. Um, God, you know, things have been a little crazy at work, and I, and I just can't deal with it week to week, so I've just sort of kind of t- taken up this, this nightly habit of having a few too many drinks just to sort of numb the pain. I'm sure that's the best solution for that. You know, actually, God, things aren't that great at home either in my marriage, and so I think I'll just sort of ask the crowd, or I'll put a poll out on, on Facebook or, or Twitter. I'll kind of just look around and see what everybody else is doing, because God, I'm sure you have nothing to say about my marriage. So I'm not really going to ask you, when's the last time that you asked God with the desire to value his opinion above anybody else's? Not my friends, not social media, not the latest fad, not the latest blog, not something I read in a self-help book. The God of the universe. And you know what that's called? Trust. God, I trust you, and so I'm going to value your opinion beyond anybody else's. So according to disciples, it's game over. Send the people home. There's no solution. I love Jesus' response just a chapter ago in a very similar story with the feeding of the 5,000. In this same moment, Jesus turns to these 12 ordinary men. There's probably at least 15,000 people here. In those days, they did not count the women and children, the official legal accounts of, of what happened. Different society, different culture then. So scholars believe 15, maybe 20,000 people are sitting on this hillside. Wells Fargo Arena packed. And Jesus turns to you and says, well, why don't you do it? One of the best lines in all of scripture. Like, how do you not laugh out loud in Jesus' face if you're a disciple? Jesus turns to you and says, well, you feed them. First of all, I cannot think of a better promotional line for our upcoming Super Bowl food drive than that. You didn't hear it from me. You heard it from Jesus. You feed them, okay? It's right out of the Bible, okay? You don't need an announcement slide. It's God's word, okay? Jesus is like, you know what would be cool? If we fed them. And if I'm the disciples, I would say, Jesus, you know what would be cool? If you would have planned in advance a little bit better, and then we could have hired a catering company, and that would be great, and that would solve, solve it. Jesus says, actually, you know what? I'm Uber Eats and DoorDash and a catering company all wrapped into one. In fact, I'm better than that. I'm the bread of life, Amen. You came to the right place. As we sang about this morning, our God is awesome. Amen? Our God is awesome. And before you get on your high horse and think, come on, disciples, how often do we forget that? We look, oh, I don't see any solutions. Jesus is like, standing right here with you. The disciples come back and say, well, all we've got are seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. Oh, you missed it. How many loaves of bread? How many loaves of bread? What have we been talking about this entire sermon series from the dawn of creation to what we talked about last week in Ephesians 4? Seven, seven, seven. Seven means completion, perfection, or in this case, more than enough. More than enough. It's not an accident that there were seven loaves of bread. The disciples are seriously doubting is enough. I'm tr- I was trying to come up with an illustration to give you a picture for how outrageous Jesus is, is being here. And the best I could think of is making this announcement. Hey, we've got bagels. Uh, I, I've got a bagel for everybody at Hope Elam today. It's going to be great. Some of you are like, think this is going to be great. We're going to get the ushers. They're going to come down the aisles and hand out, you know, fresh uh, toasted bagels. We get some cream cheese on there. No, I got a bagel. For all 250 of us, a a bagel. Okay, ready? Let's divide it up. Okay, this is how outrageous the scene was that 
day. That's a glimpse of what they're thinking. And you know what Jesus says? Give it to me. Give it to me. In other words, trust me. Trust me. What would it have been like to be there that day? Standing next to Jesus. Let's take a look. Pretty awesome. Our God is awesome. Amen? Our God is awesome. Side note, as much as some of us think, Jesus does not have blonde hair and blue eyes and was not Norwegian. I hate to burst your bubble, okay? I just want to say that. Working on finding some new clips. We, we read that after they had passed out all the food, there were how many baskets left over? Just take a wild guess. How many? Seven! The Greek word here for basket, this may seem silly, but it's important. The Greek word here for basket is spurus. Everybody say spurus. This is a completely different word for basket that is used here in Matthew 15 that was used for the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14. Those were small basket. Spurus was a type of basket that was essentially a stretcher. When people were sick or dying, they would carry them from place to place for healing or when they passed away in a Spurus. It was the size of a human. So scholars will actually say there was more food left over in the feeding of the 4,000. There was a chapter 4 in the feeding of the 5,000. That's because there's always more with God. Amen? There's always more with God. These are massive baskets. There's food left over after feeding 15,000 People. So if we pause there, it'd be easy to stop and say, okay, Jesus always provides. He's got you. God bless you. Go home. But that's not the end of the story. There's something deeper going beyond the surface here. They're going to get hungry again. You ever thought about that? It's not happily ever after. Loaves and fishes were the food of the poor. This is not the religious elite that Jesus is hanging out with. These are the, the, the poor, the, the desperate. They're going to get hungry again. And yet, at this moment, as all these crowds are following Jesus, he knew their hearts. And he knew this was the same crowd that had followed him and would continue to because they were really interested in a great show. They were interested in a great show. Jesus knew that they were falling in love with the gifts and not the giver. They were in love with the sign, but not the one that the sign pointed to. You can take this to the bank as a promise from God. Whenever you see a miracle in the Bible, particularly the Gospel of John is, is filled, it's called the Book of Signs. There's seven different miracles, seven signs, and Matthew is referring to this one. Whenever you see a sign in the Bible, it's not about the thing. It's about what the thing is pointing to. Okay, any story you read in the Bible is pointing to Jesus. So in a similar account, knowing, Jesus, knowing their hearts, in a similar account of this miracle in John, the crowd follows Jesus after this big miracle. And Jesus responds in John chapter 6, verse 26. He says this, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, friends, you miss the point. Crowds, you, you miss the point. You're only here what you can get from me. You're only here for what you can get out of it. I love feeding you. I love meeting that immediate need. But the miracle, the point of the miracle was not just to feed you for a few hours. Something more than that. I wonder, have you ever said, let's, let's bring it into our day a little bit. Have you ever said this or thought this, or if you don't want to admit it, heard somebody say this? 
you know, I gave up on church. I gave up on faith because I wasn't getting anything out of it. I gave up on worship. I I certainly gave up on sitting in front. I gave up on regular worship. I gave up on in-person worship. I gave up on online worship. I gave up on my small group because I wasn't getting anything out of it. It wasn't meeting my needs. I gave up on giving because I wasn't getting anything out of it. And what Jesus says to the crowd that day, what he says to you, what he says to me, is if as long as it's about getting something out of it, you've missed the point of it. You've missed the point of what it is. Jesus says, meaning me. In the very next verse, Jesus continues in the same account in John telling this story in verse 27. He says, do not work. In other words, do not live for. Do not spend precious moments and days of years of your lives. Do not work for food that spoils, for things that are not going to last, but for food that endures. What are you going to do this week that's going to matter for eternity? What are you going to spend your time on that's going to last, which the Son of Man will give you? Do not work for food that spoils. Jesus says to you and I, to the crowds that day, come on, come on. Don't you realize what I'm offering? I'm offering to you a relationship with God himself. I'm standing here with you in the flesh. You got lunch for a day. What I'm offering can fill the ache that's deep in your soul. Till you'll never be hungry again. I am the bread of life. It's not the sign. It's not the miracle. It's me and you're missing it. You're missing it. No healthy relationship is built on a what can I get out of it mentality. Think about that for a second. Not friendship, not marriage, not church, and certainly not your relationship with God. Instead, healthy relationships say, I am here to offer myself fully to you. And I'm going to focus on serving you and meeting your needs to the very best of my ability. And the amazing thing is, Jesus says, when you lose your life, you will gain it. The amazing thing is when I don't make it about me and always getting my needs and my opinions and my agendas, and I make it about serving the other person, amazingly, I get my needs met too. That's how healthy relationships work. And that's why right after this miracle, the crowds gathered around Jesus and they wanted to make him king. And what did Jesus do? I'm out. Because he knew they were fans and not followers. They were bandwagon fans. I'm here for the bread. But he knew they weren't there for him. They were fans, not followers. Think about it this way. As, as a father, when I come home from work, I never exactly know the, the uh, reception I'm going to get from my two young children. Sometimes it's like I'm not even there and I have to announce the fact that I'm home and haven't seen them for eight hours. Or sometimes they come and just tackle me. But imagine every single time that I came home from work, longing to just give my kids a hug. Every time I walk in the door, they come to me and the very first thing out of their mouth is, Dad, what did you get me? What what treat did you get me? Did you get me a toy? Did you stop by Target? I love Target. Did you get me a drink from Starbucks? God, what did you get me? Did you give me some money today? What do you have for me? My heart would kind of go, okay, well, nice to see you too. What's in it for me is the mentality. And don't hear me wrong. I love to get my kids stuff. 
But what I love the most is when I come through the door and they come running and say, Daddy, we're here for you. I don't care what's in your pockets. I don't care if you got me anything. I don't care if you're meeting my needs. I'm here for you. And my deepest and most sincere prayer, Hope Elam, is that we would be the kind of church that comes walking through those doors. And our very first thought isn't, oh, I wonder what I'm going to get out of it today. I hope, I hope the worship team sings on key. I, ho- I hope the sermon is not too boring. But instead, the very first thought that goes through our minds is, Daddy, we're here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here to worship you. And we hope that you're fed by the sermon. But this is icing on the cake to the bread of life that you can experience every single day by reading your Bible on your own time. This is icing on the cake. We're just shining some light on it for you. God, I'm here for you. Yeah, I want to get my needs met, but I'm here for you. And it's, it's nice when there's nice people and the nice sermon, the music are good. But dad, but daddy, you're here. You're here. Let's take it one step deeper. I was thinking about it this week. You know what I long for from my kids more than anything else? Is their trust. Why? Because it speaks to what they truly believe about my heart. Dad, I believe in you and your goodness, and your faithfulness. So much so that when you lead, I'm going to follow. And when you say something, I'm going to obey it. Not because I'm some authority in their life, but because they know my daddy loves me unconditionally. He wants the very, very best for me. And I have a relationship with him. And I know that he's going to provide for me. A few chapters before in Matthew, Jesus turns to his disciples and said what Jesus said in the clip. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap or store away in barns, and yet your, who? Your daddy feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Some of you are stressed out and overwhelmed today, and I think Jesus just wants you to say, to remind you. Did you forget who your daddy is? Did you forget who your father is? the one that feeds the birds of the air and you haven't even thought about it, that put breath in your lungs before you had a chance to thank him for it this morning, that got you out of bed. Did you forget who I am? Do you trust me? That's what Jesus is after in this miracle. I know I could do miracle after miracle after miracle and sign after sign. And you know what Jesus' own disciples and the Pharisees and the crowds would say over and over to Jesus? Do it again, Jesus! Put on your magic show. And I love doing that sort of stuff for my kids, but I want them to be with me. I want them to know me. I want to be with them is the most important thing. How important is your trust to God? One of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, says this. Trust is our gift back to God. And he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for love of it. This is not some flimpet thing, wishy-washy things. God wants to have a relationship with you, to have you be his follower and not a fan, to not come around and be with him when everything's going well or to run up on his lap when you need something. You know what your father loves more than anything else? Is when you just run up and sit on his lap and say, Daddy, I'm here for you. 
and if I don't get through my Bible study, and if I don't particularly like the sermon today, and if the music wasn't my favorite, and somebody in my small group offended me, I'm here for you, and that's enough. That's enough. Followers, not fans. And it would be so easy to come away from this story today and say, oh, okay, I get it, Pastor John. I'll just try harder this week to have more trust. Manning continues. In his book called Ruthless Trust, he writes this, like faith and hope, trust cannot be self-generated. I cannot simply will myself to trust. What outrageous irony. The one thing I am responsible for throughout my life, I cannot generate. That's how dependent we are. The one thing I need to do, I cannot do. But such is the meaning of radical dependence. What does lie within my power, get this, is paying attention to the faithfulness of Jesus. That's what Jesus was after that day. With the, that's why he got so frustrated with the disciples. <laughs> you do know that this is a chapter after Jesus fed 5,000 people out of the blue. And what out of the disciples respond a chapter later? What is he going to do? I'm a little nervous. We do that every single day. God has provided for you. He's come through for you. He's protected you time and time and time and time again. And yet we wake up and we say, oh, I don't know if I can trust you. Ruthless trust, or as 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. I got some Bible readers in here today. This is awesome. It's easy to say that until you have to do it. And I came across the story of a young woman named Alyssa who knows exactly what it means to trust when you cannot see. Take a look. Yeah. We walk by faith and not by sight. Alyssa is doing what Jesus longed for the crowd to get that day. I trust you, Jesus, and I want, I'm going to follow you for you. Rather than trust being some naive idea, I love how she said, I know my parents are there because I can hear their voice leading and guiding in me, and they've provided for me time and time again. And maybe that's what it's like for you and I to trust in our Father as well. You, uh, you might know this if you're paying attention or not, but... Um, we have an amazing team of worship leaders here at Hope Elam, and one of them is on the keys pretty much every weekend, and this is Kyle. And uh, yeah, you can give God praise for Kyle. <laughs> Kyle has the amazing opportunity to walk by faith and not by sight every day. He doesn't have a choice. <laughs> and he happens to be an incredibly talented musician. Yeah, and um, <laughs> Kyle's on our staff, and we were having staff meeting this past week, and as we do every week, we are reflecting back on what God's done in our church these past few months. And Kyle said, can I say something? I said, absolutely. <laughs> Kyle has the biggest sense of humor, and I love it. And Kyle said, my, my question to the staff was, what are you seeing? How are you seeing God at work? And Kyle said, I can't. Um, I'm not really seeing anything, but he said this. I can't see it, but I absolutely believe that God is doing something incredible here. It just kind of hit me. 
With his permission, I, I asked, Kyle, Kyle's never seen this room. He's never seen you. And yet he is here every week, and he's all in. He's, yeah, he's, just like Alyssa in, in the video, this is right in front of us, he's never had an opportunity to see something and form an opinion about whether he likes it or not. And yet, why do we find it, those of us that can see everything, find it so hard sometimes to walk by faith and not by sight? He's never seen it, and it just hit me. I want to be a little bit more like Alyssa. I want to be a little bit more like Kyle, that have learned to trust even if I don't have the perfect picture or I can't see the picture at all. You keep moving forward and just say to God, I'm here for you. Alyssa has every right to be bitter. Kyle has every right to be bitter and angry. And yet look at his job. He's a worship leader. Think about that for a second, okay? (laughs) We keep moving forward and we say, God, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here to serve. I'm here to use my gifts. I'm here to get in the game as the church. Jesus turns disciples and says, you feed them. Get in the game. You could grumble, you could complain, or you could help me distribute all this food. It's time to be the church. Hope Elam, there's one thing that you and I have all have in common, all of us. God's asking us to trust him with this church, with this dream, with this vision, even though we can't see the whole picture. Because in order to take hold of this, of what God is doing, this new thing, we have to let go, and we've had to let go of a lot. Whether you're here in the room today or you're watching this online, we've had to let go of what our own visions are of what we wanted this church to be like. Both Hope Des Moines and Elam had buildings that we loved, that were full of memories, full of the Holy Spirit. And because of the pandemic, can we just say this? We never really had a chance to say goodbye fully, to grieve. And now we're coming to this brand new location, which is a little bit overwhelming. Hope Des Moines was in a car dealership, by the way, okay? Ironically, Elam was in a former Lutheran church. How ironic is that? And we come to this brand new church building, this new neighborhood to start something new. And it's hard. And it's scary. And at some point, we've probably been like the disciples were that day on the mountain. (laughs) All these people. Jesus, are you sure you got this? Because this this task seems a little daunting. It seems a little big. Just seven loaves and a few fish. Jesus, you sure you got this? I can't tell you how many times Pastor Hurst have been sitting next to each other, looking at each other, watching what God is doing here, saying, hey, brother, how are we going to do this again? You you got any ideas? I I got any. You want to share some ideas? Like, I don't know. Brother, do you feel ready for this? Because I certainly don't feel up to the task. But here's why we have great hope. Not just the two of us, but all of us can have great hope. And what I want to remind you today is that we worship a God who has parted the sea, who has made the blind to see, who rose the dead to life, who took a sack lunch and made a feast out of it. God says to us today as a church, do not look at the size of the crowd or the task before us. Look who is holding the basket. 
Look who is holding the basket. He's got you. He's got us and we can trust him. A God who says, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ever ask or imagine. And that same God asks you today, do you trust me with this church? Do you trust me with your agenda and your plans and your opinions? Do you trust me? Don't put your trust in pastors. Don't put your trust in a church or in a building. Put your trust in the God that can take a sack lunch and make a feast. Amen? He's enough. And just like the disciples, he's calling you into the game. But it's hard to take hold of something new if we haven't let go of what we're holding. And so I just want to pause And if you feel comfortable, wherever you're at, I invite you to stand. If you're at home, if you're in the room, stand, sit, kneel, whatever you do. All I would ask is that you hold out your hands. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, whatever you want to do. And the band's just going to continue to play. And the reality is, is that today, all of us are holding on to something. And if if you could, it might feel a little bit uncomfortable because it is. Take your fists and grip them really tight. What are you holding on to today? And what do you need to let go of? Is it fear? Is it grief of what happened to my church? (laughs) Of what I thought that 2020 would be like? A dream that I had, a job that I had? And you're holding on to that fear, anxiety, worry, grief, bitterness, anger at somebody, anger at the church control, sadness, pain, disappointment, and squeeze (laughs) squeeze it. (laughs) And Jesus is inviting you today to let go, and you can't do that. And so, Jesus, we ask for your power to break through because I can't receive, Jesus, what you have for me until I let go and open up my fists. So Jesus, we ask that you would open our hands and ever so slowly open up your hands. Doesn't that feel so much better? And now we can receive. And now we can say, Daddy, I trust you. I'm not in control. I never was in control. And I'm giving you my sadness and my grief. I'm naming it in my heart right now, the things that I'm disappointed about the things I'm angry about, my bitterness, the burdens that I was never meant to carry. Jesus, I can't do it. And I'm taking what I have and like the loaves and fishes, I'm putting it in your hands because you can do so much more. All that I am, Jesus, I'm yours and I'm here for you. I'm open-handed, not for what I can get from you. God, I'm here for you, Father. I don't want to just be a fan. I want to be a follower. I want to go where you go and do what you say. I'm letting go so that I can receive. Fill me with fresh desire. God, fill me with fresh passion for you. I'm not here, God. 
I'm not a part of this church for what I can get out of it. I'm here for you. I'm here to encounter you, to let you change my life. And the rest will take care of itself. So God, fill us up with the power of your Holy Spirit. We want everything that you have. Put us there on the mountain that day, God. Put us there so that you can look into our eyes and say, I am enough for you, my child, today. I am awesome and I am able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything that you could ever ask or imagine. Jesus, we are here for you. Wherever you're at, online, in the room, let's stand together and let's sing and let's worship our God who is able. Let's worship together.